Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Flashes, huh? What's your favorite scary movie? Um, not that one. <laughs> Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking shoving asparagus juice up your butt. We're talking, I'm like chewing gum. I tend to stick around. And we're talking, this is a bed of lies. And I'm Joe. Joe, you lit- I had two things in the bank and you took both of them. <laughs> <laughs> was it the asparagus juice and the gum? No, it was the gum and the lies. Oh, <laughs> Okay. Anyway, everyone, we are discussing Neil Jordan's Greta today from 2018. And um, Ooh, yeah, not the other queer Greta that comes out in 2019. That one's not a horror film. I didn't even know that was a thing. I can't believe I didn't come across that in my research. You think with two movies named Greta that were released right? a year apart that would have come up. Yeah, that one's Brazilian, I believe. Oh, God. Well, okay. Well, before we get too much further into this because this is a guest pick everyone let's bring in the guest who is waiting in the wings she is an la-based stand-up comedian who is also the co-host of two dykes and a mic a weekly podcast and internationally touring comedy show dedicated to sex positivity queer dating and building a community filled with laughter and gayness please welcome rachel scanlon hi oh my god what a great intro obsessed that (laughs) show description is fantastic though yeah it's very gay is very funny that's kind of the two main takeaways <laughs> that's like our show only 50 percent of that yeah. sometimes trace and i work on the funny well no I, I don't know how you feel about this rachel i mean obviously you're you're a natural comedian but like i find that i am not funny when i am trying to be funny oh no i like have to be funny when i'm trying that's kind of and, and honestly that's the whole thing <laughs> yeah. unfortunately <laughs> about it that's, that's kind of the whole sort thing of your business yeah. right. i guess you do have to try when it's your actual job right and that uh, it does kind of take away the fun of it but then when i'm at home i'm deeply unfunny oh okay. yeah i sit back i relax and i make everyone around me be funny and that's kind of like the fun balance which honestly weirdly enough has brought me to horror oh okay wait i'm sorry elaborate on that like i think that a lot of stand-up comedians are, like, comedy nerds. hmm They, like, fell in love with comedy as, like, kids, and they, like, love stand-up. And I deeply love horror, and that, for me, is, like, what I do in my free time. Like, I'm not waking up watching stand-up comedy specials, or <laughs> I'm not a fan of stand-up. I don't consume stand-up comedy in my free time at all. Mm-hmm. What I like to do is wake up, at like 7 a.m., mm-hmm. go for a little run, and then if I have my day to myself, I'm watching horror films. Yes. I'm going to theaters, I'm watching Blumhouse B-Horror, and I'm coming <laughs> home, and I'm renting, like, Greta, 
but also <laughs> like any of them. I'm watching horror films. That's what I, I want to watch like horror films with female leads. And that's what I like to do. It's a good genre for that too, right? I mean, one of the most female fronted of all genres, except maybe romantic comedies. I know. It's like, it's women forward, which is probably what got me into it right away. And then, like, I didn't, for the longest time, I was like, oh, who wants to be scared in their free time? And then you become <laughs> an adult, and you're like, oh, I do. <laughs> 100%. But, I mean, but even discussing though, how it is, yeah, a very, like, female-forward genre, it's also the genre that comes most under fire for being misogynistic. So it's like a double-edged yeah. sword sometimes. For sure. And I feel like, I think people are realizing lately that it's like, if you want to get an engaged fan base, like, I'm, I'm talking about, like, the Ryan Murphys of the world. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. make things where women are the focal point and gay people are the focal point and like watch <laughs> right. how many people are obsessed with what you're making yes at the very least on social media i mean you will get that the all those clicks if you do that on yeah. social media yeah well and it's interesting too because like i mean not to move us in the direction of greta but i forget that this movie basically doesn't give a fuck about men and then you watch it and you think oh we basically have three female leads and yeah. then two cursory male like tertiary characters who don't make an impact on the narrative and isn't that fun i mean also i barely know what the word tertiary means i put it together based on <laughs> Context clues. <laughs> Context clues. <laughs> but I'm there. Uh, like, yeah, it's like so much fun to see. Well, okay. So on that note, though, so, you know, we sent you a list of movies you uh, that you had options to cover. And yeah. you picked Greta. And uh, honestly... We were a little surprised. Were you really? <laughs> Full disclosure. This is something that Joe <laughs> has been trying to get us to cover for a while. Because yeah. I, I am very mid on this movie. Although I will say that a rewatch this week, I, I bumped it up to a three star. But okay. I was just kind of like, ah, uh, it... I'll go into my why I have issues with it later, but sure, um, sure. I want to know, like, what made you pick this movie out of all of them? My easy number one is Chloe Grace Moretz. Okay. Yes. Mer okay. Chloe Grace Moretz is like, whenever I see her in anything, I'm going to probably enjoy it. And I, I literally remember the first time I saw a trailer for this movie. Like, the trailer sold me. And sure, is the trailer better than the film? Yes. Okay, Maybe. fine. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yes, it is. <laughs> but... Other than, like, a, um, I really like a possession, like, anything with, like, Catholicism and there's a demon in your body. This oh. is my second most favorite type of horror film where it's more on the thrillery side, where something yeah. creepy is kind of happening throughout, where you're like, why is this happening and how are we going to get out of it? And mm. that, for me, is, like, one of my favorite types of movies. So I picked it because I wanted to rewatch it. I've seen this movie three times now. <laughs> nice okay yeah. and i saw it when it first came out i saw it a second watch and each time i watch it i am kind of like it's almost like my brain completely deletes the entire film every time i <laughs> so it's like, it's like a first time viewing every time <laughs> yes it really is and I, and I do mean that in a bad way it doesn't stick with you you know what i mean right <laughs> like mm -hmm. there's nothing like i mean there are certain moments that you're gonna be you're it's gonna lead you back into it and you'll go oh my god the finger or whatever but, like, as a whole, like, this is, like, a very, like, snackable, stupid, silly, little fun movie. And I like that. <laughs> well, 
I'm glad. No, here's the thing. Like, you know, when on this podcast, you know, we, we will disagree not all the time, but a lot. And like, I always like it when I'm kind of coming into a movie with like, oh, I think it's fine. And the guest really loves it. I will say the thing for me is like, this feels like almost like a modern day version of like the psycho bitty subgenre that we were getting in the 60s mm. with, you know, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, whatever happened to Baby Jane, that whole thing. And while Greta dips its toes into camp frequently, yeah. uh, I find that it refuses to just dive in. So, like, I'm honestly really into this movie, and I I think this movie is totally fine. It's just like, I, you know, when Isabel Huppert is dancing around the corpse of a man she just killed, I was yes. like, cool, more of that, <laughs> more please. More of that. Yeah. And it feels so resistant to do I that. Know. I know. It almost is like, what are you scared? Like, we're already here. Just go for yeah. it. We're all, you've made us, like, we've, yeah, like, we're already on board with this woman just like leaving her purse everywhere like just take us all the way like the music the vibe like what's holding you back i don't know if y'all remember the poster for this movie so i mean there's the boring one that's just like you know isabel Huppert and chloe grace moritz looking all threatening right but there was another poster like a teaser poster that came out and it was literally a purse on a fish hook and Obsessed. i thought yeah that was Obsessed. so cool <laughs> so much better do that give us that yes. whole thing <laughs> It is weird. This movie has energy where it's like, sometimes it's really going for it. And other times it does feel like it wants to be a more austere, you know, highfalutin. Yeah. And you're just thinking, no, that's why you cast Isabel Huppert. And then you make it trashy and be like, that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I will say um, one thing that I did get out of my first watch of this, because this would have been, it, it hit theaters in 2019 after a TIFF premiere in 2018. And I saw mm-hmm. this. And at the time, I I didn't dislike Micah Monroe, but I had I was never particularly impressed with her because all the right. things I saw her and she was kind of delivering the same monotone performance. And this a little sleepy. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like it follows great movie and she's do- doing what's after her. But I-, I wanted to see her in more roles where she was really getting to kind of play different types of characters. And mm-hmm. this was the one where I walked out of this going, Oh my God, like look at what Micah Monroe can do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> To the point where you wish there was more of Erica in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think Moretz is actually quite good in this movie. She's just stuck she with a role that isn't that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't believe this this time around when I was watching it, I couldn't believe that it still hadn't moved on to like a different part of a story where I, mm-hmm. I was like, we're still just like trying to avoid this being stalked by Greta. Okay. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I was like, are we still just like, <laughs> that, that was my thing. It. Yeah. Rewatching this. I, Cause okay, so, so she finds all the purses 20 minutes into this movie. And I was like, That's ah. crazy. Oh, like that. that <laughs> Here we go. So much Here we quick, go. Yeah, and the answer is okay, no. We're off to the races. And then right. we just spend so much time, as you said, Rachel, with the stalking. And I was like, no, kidnap her now. <laughs> truly, truly, deeply and honestly, kidnap her right now. Kidnap her. <laughs> Take me to a dungeon. Like, I don't need her back at work. Like, she was honestly a waitress for so many scenes. Oh, but (laughs) here's the thing. One of the best scenes of the film is when we get a fucking table flip in this bougie restaurant. Yes. Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, though, her getting fired, not fair. Not fair at all. The second she was like, hey, can you, when, who's the guy who is her Maybe Henry. I'm like looking at the cast it's list. Henry, yeah. When someone who works for you, a woman is crying for help saying like, this woman, can you get her out of here? And he's like, sounds mm-hmm. like your problem, honey. I was like, what? 
Oh my god. Yeah. It's, no. Th- th- this guy's played by character actor Jeff Hiller, who I've seen in a lot of, especially recently, I feel like I've seen him in a lot of things, but he was oh my the... god, somebody somewhere, everyone, you have to go and watch it. It's one of the best shows on TV. Okay, that's the, um, the, uh, is it Bridget Everett show? It is, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, so he's, he's the one of the main serial killers in American Horror Story NYC, and oh. say what you will about that season, I, I actually quite like it. I'm when put up against most of the other seasons of American Horror Story. Um, But he's really good in it and very creepy. Yeah, he all around as an actor and a dude kind of rocks, kind of like is like whenever he's in anything, you're like, okay, this person is kind of stealing everything, (laughs) (laughs) which is always so fun to have, which is weird where you're like, you almost want them to, it's like, if he's going to be your boss, can we just have them be friends? Can they be like right? fighting Greta together? Like, I thought it was such a weird choice to have him just be like, you're on your own, bitch. I was like, why? Mm-hmm. I-, I think that's what Joe was saying, though. Like, oh, yeah, we're, we're dipping our toes into camp, but we're still trying to, like, make this, like, not prestige per se, but like mm-hmm. a serious film. Serious, yeah. yeah. But... Okay, well, let's go into how this kind of got made, because this was directed, as we already said, by horror quiz alum Neil Jordan. So go listen to our previous episode on Interview with the Vampire. But it was based on a script from a man named Ray Wright. Um, Neil Jordan would do some rewrites of the script after Isabel Huppert was cast, which is why he is right. co-writing credit on the film. But okay. While we all know Jordan, on top of interview, you know he's written and directed films like The Crying Game, In Dreams, Breakfast on Pluto. Um, I didn't know he created that Showtime show, The Borgias. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So he was not doing film for a long time because he was working on that. But I looked up Wright's filmography because I was like, okay, what else has this guy written? Mm -hmm. Not a lot. uh, But here are the three. Pulse, the remake of the acclaimed J-horror film Cairo (laughs) with Kristen Bell. Case 39, the Renee Zellweger movie that was shelved forever and then released a couple years ago to terrible reviews. <laughs> oh, boy. And this is the good one, um, which I think is fine. Uh, the remake of The Crazies. Oh, that one has a lot of fans. Yeah. yeah it's good. It's on that Friday 13th level where I think it's not as good as like the best remakes of the aughts, but it's not as like dumpster fiery as the bad ones, you know? Mm-hmm. Good cast in that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Good cast. Also, Danielle Pennebaker dies in that one, too. Oh. <laughs> Having a good time, she is. (laughs) But yeah, Neil Jordan admits that he wanted to make the film because, in his words, it's a terribly simple story. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Not wrong. (laughs) The fact that it was between two women made it seem more real to him somehow. The fact that this monster was female made it a really interesting character. And he could imagine that kind of extremity and neurosis coming out of this weird need for contact. Sure. Sure. Okay. We'll unpack that, I feel, because I think we're going to have a lot to say about the depiction of Greta as an older, lonely woman. Uh, Well, I'm just confused as to why he was like, oh, I found it more realistic that it was a woman. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it. I mean, yeah, realistic. (laughs) Like, is it more realistic or is it like a way more fun choice? Yeah, yes. The latter, for sure. Exactly. And I mean, and like, you know, I'm biased. I prefer female led films, especially when it's like, again, an evil woman, because I just find them more interesting than an evil man. But yeah, evil mm-hmm. woman is more fun to explore, too, because it's less of like, oh, man, I'm fucking scared, like all the time. Right. It's way more fun to explore, like, why on earth is this creepy woman fish lining versus like, we all know why men are doing shit like that. <laughs> hmm. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, think of how differently this movie plays if it's Greg instead of Greta, and he's abducting Chloe Grace Moretz and putting her in a trunk. <laughs> right. Totally different We've movie. seen Greg a hundred times. We're all scared of Greg's. So we, clo- we close our eyes. We see Greg's. 
Yeah. Well, wait, I'm sorry. I would assume, though, that if we gender flip Greta, we would also gender flip Francis. So it would be Greg oh. and Frank. Oh, but would oh. watch that one, too. Yeah, now I'm kind of back on board. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, I mean, and not to like, not to sideline us too much, but I go back to think, like, you remember when Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza came out and there was all that oh, God. hubbub about the, the age gap in the relationship and people were like, well, it wouldn't, be, it would be weird if it was a man. It's not as bad as it's a girl. I was like, no, it's the same, but. It's the same. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It, it's still predatory. It's yeah, still, it's still statutory. <laughs> I, I like Licorice Pizza, I, but I can also watch the movie and understand, yeah, this is not appropriate, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> But, okay, so about those rewrites, um, Jordan changed Greta's character once Huppert was cast. Um, in, in his words, he added a lot of sophistication to it, um, introduced the musical theme for Greta, and made her somebody who had the French persona while hiding the Hungarian side of herself. So I guess maybe originally she was just French? Hmm. Or just Hungarian? Or just, or, or maybe she was American, who knows? <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you guys like the Cherie stuff? Are you down? <laughs> Did yeah. that add something for you? Oh, let me make this clear. Isabel Huppert is really good in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> she is She is not the problem in this film. Yeah, she, she is rocks. great. <laughs> yeah. I actually, it's solely a screenplay thing for me and maybe a bit of Jordan's directing too. But Huppert and Jordan have wanted to work together for a long time. And so he sent her the script to read and uh, she accepted very quickly. Um, but interestingly enough, you know, we talk about how a lot of times on film sets, they don't have time or don't make time for rehearsals. Jordan doesn't rehearse with his actors, but what he does do instead is constantly rewrite things. Oh. So during filming, if something's not working, instead of like rehearsing with the actor to like get it right, he will rewrite the script to cater to what the actor is giving him. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So he talks through the actors, begins to adapt um, since and change them to find out what's playing well or not. So he uses rehearsal space as a writing space instead. Huh. I mean, that's nice to be flexible, but I can't work with every actor. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, and, you know, look at his filmography. There are some good films and there are some not good films. Yeah. This is true. He has a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. But um, after Hooper read the script, she seemed to come with every aspect of the character fully formed. Um, even the quieter bits at the very start where she's just a prosaic, ordinary woman in the park getting a dog. And Jordan told her, you know, play these straight. Like, don't be mustache twirly this early in the film you want to come across as quote-unquote normal and sure. i get that i still would have preferred the mustache twirl but that's just me <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny because the film almost wants us to think that there is nothing wrong with her but that would a mean that we had not seen any of the marketing right. and also b it's like no we've seen these movies before like when you're referencing things like fatal attraction and single white female in your liner notes we know what kind of film we're signing up for so you don't have to bury the lead quite so deep yeah what is the female equivalent of a mustache twirl titty twister titty twister can't <laughs> possibly be right but i'm <laughs> You know what it feels like is like you know when you you twist your earring stud like if you have like a little fake diamond Ooh, earring on uh-huh. and you twist it around that way but it's the exact same motion as the okay you know a, the a, an the earring twist yeah <laughs> it's a stud twist it's a stud, stud twist there you go you're just like licking your chops I don't know what do <laughs> I'm like what do straight women do maybe like a lipstick thing oh maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, listeners, let us know. Come up with some <laughs> answers. We'll say the best ones on social media. 
<laughs> there we go. Um, but 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 she had basically come up with an entire arc for the character, you know, as a lot of I think really professional actors do. You know, they come up with like a backstory for their characters. So what she mm-hmm. brought to the role after she read the script, um, Jordan tried to incorporate into the script in his rewrites as much as he could. Wild. So when it comes to inspirations, um, we've got a trend going here, Joe. Um, on top of Le Diabolique, see our previous episode on that, uh, he also names Roman Polanski's Repulsion, but um, similar to Almodovar's inspirations with The Skin I Live In last week, um, we've got George Franju's Eyes Without a Face and the yes. work of Fritz Long, you know, the guy that did that M movie, Joe? My God, I, <laughs> I'm going to murder you. <laughs> He viewed it as a fairy tale gone wrong, uh, something straight out of the Brothers Grimm, you know, thinking, oh, it's about these European realities stuck in an American context. And again, I kind of get the intent there. But for me, when you're saying it's a fairy tale, then there are things that need to be more outlandish in the film you're telling. But, you know. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting doing some research for this. I found a couple of different reviews, specifically one in The Advocate by Tracy E. Gilchrist, um, where she's reading both monstrous mothers and queer readings in the film. But she specifically mentions the idea of using the purse as a kind of breadcrumbs from Hansel and Gretel. And I was Mm. like, okay, I can definitely see it. But also I needed someone to bring it to my attention to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a very difficult film to make because they didn't have a lot of money. I couldn't find an exact budget, but I found a couple of guesstimates. And it seems to be like this is around a $5 million budgeted film. Oh, wow. Okay. They built interiors and a soundstage in Ireland. Uh, Jordan says, though, you know, hey, if this movie was made 15 years ago, so in the aughts, um, it would have been made by a studio. And it would have had a budget of about $34 million. Um, But the world is not like that anymore. So we have $5 million. Wow. Yeah. We just don't make mid-budget films, or certainly not around the time that he's making this in the mid-2010s. Yeah. But what is on screen is pretty much everything that was in the script. Um, There were, like, the most significant scenes that were cut were more scenes of the cops, but Jordan thought that the more scenes you had at the police station, the more you began to question the cop's stupidity. Right, as we do. Yeah, as we already already do do in the film we have. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I never need more cops in any kind of movie like this. Absolutely not. I will say, though, I've talked about my my history with a stalker before, and it's really scary because you're kind of like, you don't know what you should do. And unfortunately, yeah, if they haven't, like, if they haven't actually threatened you or they haven't, like, entered your space and, like, done, like, I mean, granted, Greta clearly crosses a line at some point in this movie, but mm-hmm. it can be frustrating because it's like, wait, so I just got to wait for them to kill me to, like, arrest them? Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that that scene, too, in, in Greta where they're like, they have a shot. I think you can see a cop and then behind the cop, you can see Greta on the other side of the street. And they're just yep. like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know how it is. It's public property. Sorry, honey. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. How less that of that. <laughs> it's frustrating. It really, really is. I at least what I do like about the screenplay, though, is that I think Francis does do things as a normal person would do in this situation. Yeah. You know, what I mean, granted, should she have befriended Greta to begin with? Probably not. But you know what? Whoa. I'm a people pleaser. I want to be nice to people. I probably would have found myself in a very similar Ugh. situation. Same. I'll people please myself all the way to your basement. And that yep. is my, that's <laughs> something I'm working on. Into the bed of lies. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, Rachel, tap twice if you're being held in a trunk during this recording. Like, <laughs> if you need help, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> but... Greta had its world premiere at TIFF uh, in September of 2018. Shortly after, Focus Features acquired the rights for about 4 to $6 million. I couldn't find an exact amount. There were multiple sources, um, which I'm a little surprised by that, too, but good for them. 
I think they thought this could be a big hit. Like this has a lot of the hallmarks of the genre. So I wonder if they looked at it and said, it's got that prestige, but it's also got the campy B. So we should be able to make some money. And I think they nearly get there. I think that's kind of what I was. I remember watching the preview when I was probably watching a different horror film, (laughs) thinking like, this is going to be that movie. This is going to be like, because Chloe is like massive. And then I remember when it came out, I was like, nobody's talking about it. And then when you mm-hmm. see it, you're like, oh, I guess that's that's why. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just think it's that it's that middle thing where it's just it's refusing to commit to one particular tone and just go for it. And so that just makes it for it's a fine movie. As, yeah, I'll stop. I'll stop record scratching. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. you know, the film I found I was comparing this to the most for this rewatch. Hmm. It was actually Orphan. And I feel like Orphan oh. is the film that actually goes there with yes, its it twists in the last one. Like, you know something is wrong with the character, but you don't expect that. And it feels like Greta doesn't have that last act reveal. It just kind of putters out. Yeah. we. Ne- I did need, like, one more thing. Well, mm-hmm. and to be clear, this is a movie whose climax involves a wig reveal. So, <laughs> like... That that is immediately like okay cool gay there we go yes. but like so but, gay. But, that's, but that's the peak of the excitement in that third act. <laughs> but honestly, folks, we are bearing the lead. If if people are like, why are they covering this film? It's just about some woman who abducts a young. Oh, never mind. I get it. Gay, 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 gay. Very. Yes. Well, and I, I do have a couple of quotes from Jordan about the the queer component of the film as well. So even he sees it, but he very much wanted it to be undertones rather than mm. be explicit. Right. And and Hupel and Grace Moritz are both like, yeah, we definitely see queerness in here. How could you yeah. not? Oh, my God. I mean, the romance. <laughs> <laughs> there was so much happening. And that's why I'm on, I'm on the edge of my couch. Like, are they going to feed each other some more? <laughs> oh, my God. The domestic scenes. Mon Jerie, here, I'm going to feed you a cookie or my finger. One of the two. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so this comes out in theaters on March 1st, 2019. Uh, Critical reception is fine. You know, we've got a 61% on Rotten Tomatoes, average score of 5.7 out of 10, uh, 54 out of 100 on Metacritic, and Letterboxd users have given it a 5.6 out of 10. So I think it's just also kind of speaking to the kind of world we live in today where like, if you're not an amazing movie or a terrible movie, mm-hmm. you're not going to get a lot of traction. Yeah. In the U.S. and Canada, it was released alongside Tyler Perry's A Medea Family Funeral. It was projected to gross about $6 million from 2,400 theaters its opening weekend. It wound up only grossing $4.5 million. It would go on to gross $10.5 million domestically and $8.1 internationally for a worldwide total of $18.7 million. It's not... Great, but yeah. with a five million dollar budget, they probably broke even. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, my big thing. I mean, Rachel, I'm actually really happy that you're here, and part of the reason that Trace and I joked about you picking this film is because <laughs> I feel like people are either very mid on this movie. Or they don't even know it exists. Like, it feels like this movie has fallen off a cliff in terms of awareness from the general public. Yeah, it did, like, I think it had that thing, like I was saying, like, it was going to happen. And then no one ever, like, people aren't aware that it's around. (laughs) And it has Mm -hmm. so many, like, the cast is killer. Well, and that's the thing, too. I mean, admittedly, I was not super familiar with Isabel Huppert up until this point. But I think the year before is when I saw Paul Verhoeven's L. Oh, yeah. 
Yes. And that that was my my introduction to her. And I was like, oh, my God, like this woman is amazing. And so when I saw the ads for Greta, I was like, great. I get double dose of Isabel Huppert. <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course, yes, folks, we acknowledge Isabel Huppert has been in many more films before she was in <laughs> L. It's just one of those things where you need a movie that introduces you to somebody. Yeah. And that was me. Obviously, she is a prolific actress. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, not enough lesbians are talking about Greta. Right? I feel like I'm the only dyke in the world that's like, hey, why aren't we talking more about Greta? (laughs) Well, and that's the benefit of having a podcast, is that we can now introduce a lot of people to Greta. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And as we were talking, I realized the other film that we should be uh, mentioning in conjunction with this is, of course, the other film that comes out this year, which is Octavia Spencer's Ma. We have an episode on that on the Patreon, but I mean... I almost wonder if Greta might have done a little better if it hadn't come out in close proximity to Ma, because that film was a lot buzzier. Like, it got memed. This one did not. Yeah. Well, but that's I, I, that also might be an advertising thing, because you saw ads for Ma everywhere. everywhere. And you yeah. didn't really get that with Greta. And I think we're on the flip side, because if I recall, I liked Ma more than you did, but yes. you like Greta more than I do. Yes, although I would argue that both films don't quite push it hard enough. Uh, agreed, agreed. Right. And they're both rated R, too. I know. There's opportunity here, opportunity that we are not capitalizing on. We could have chopped off more fingers. That finger scene is a banger. <laughs> With a cookie cutter. It's a cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh no, we're it. talking about when she injects her finger trays. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I forgot about that. <laughs> mm, oh. Boy, but... Okay, so that that is the production, Joe. What happens in this movie? What what happens in this what movie? What happens? <laughs> All right. So we open with a delightful tracking shot. We don't get to see the front of Isabel Huppert. We're only seeing the back of Greta Hedeg as she is walking along the subway platform, and we're hearing Julie London's "Where Are You." It's a great start. Mm-hmm. So we're also cross-cutting between her as well as Frances, who is Chloe Grace Moritz, and she is serving customers at her upscale restaurant. And then we basically close out this opening sequence with a bag that is being left mysteriously abandoned on the subway. See, I think we immediately get off to a playful start with this movie, and Mm -hmm. I really like that. Now, uh, Rachel, you mentioned, though, that Moritz was a big draw for you here. Do you have a strong, like, affinity? Because I feel feel like, honestly, Chloe Grace Moritz gets a lot of hate from people. Okay, that's that's insane. I feel like we all know she's for the queers. Like, she is for the lesbians. (laughs) And, like, she she is openly queer, I think. Thing? Yes, she is. She just never came out. That was the thing I found really interesting. Obsessed. Are you guys Canadian? Uh, Joe is. Okay, incredible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, Chloe, yeah, so she's queer, and I knew from the opening of this film, like, I would would argue that the opening is also very lesbianic as well. We have train travel, which is, I would say... (laughs) The queerest way of moving from one place to another. Where are you going? Your long-distance girlfriend probably writing a letter in there. All of Mm. that. I was like, I know that this is going to feel sapphic to me from the jump. (laughs) And it it did. 
I mean, even, yeah, like the focus on a handbag as a device that we are going to lure in because it's probably going to attract a certain type of person. I mean, I'd be interested to know how many of these handbags just get stolen by men and, you know, poached, sold to tourists or whatever, and Greta doesn't get anything back. But I love this idea that she is specifically catering her device to lure in a certain type of person. No, for sure. I was like, I did think about the logistics of accidentally bringing in the wrong fish, if you will, Mm -hmm. with the the lure. (laughs) Right. Because you never, because where are they? They're in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. In New York, I wasn't sure if like that many people would be bringing it back, following it all the way back. But it is the perfect type of person who sees the bag are those people who will Mm -hmm. be the perfect prey for Greta, which I guess is kind of genius. Because the people that steal it, she doesn't want. She doesn't want, she wants the doughy-eyed, be my mommy slash wifey type of people. Mm -hmm. So true. And that's the thing, Erica, Michael Monroe, keeps telling her the entire time, like, uh, that could have been a bomb in a bag. Like, you're in New York. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that to me is the most telling feature. Like, there's some great early dialogue that distinguishes that Francis is not from New York. And that's part of what Erica does in this movie, right? She's meant to be the wise, also possibly lesbian friend, because Mm -hmm. I have thoughts. A girl Mm -hmm. like that has no... No male friends. She's out at bars by herself waiting for, for, yeah, like, so lesbian for your roommate, but I love it. The whole thing. (laughs) We all have that roommate that we would just do anything for. (laughs) I mean, Erica gets so upset in part, I think, because she's just like, why are you ditching me to go spend time with this older lady? Right. I'm right here. Right. What does she have that I don't have? A cooler Mm -hmm. purse? (laughs) <laughs> okay, so Rachel, it seems like though you and I might be kindred spirits in this way, though, because literally, okay, I do this, and it's not a pity thing, but more so it's like, a, oh, I want to make this old, lonely person happy, and so of course mm-hmm. I'll go get a dog with you. Oh my god. god. Yes. In in other universes, I'm getting dogs with old people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, But also, yourself. isn't it super gay to be like, on our very first date, we went and picked out a dog together? <laughs> The whole thing is queer coded. I'm like, you're you hauling. You're emotionally getting a dog together. I mean, f- literally getting a dog together. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting. All right, I'll actually just bring in one of uh, Jordan's quotes here because he he really compares it to a mother daughter relationship. But sure. on the queer component, he says. Francis is looking for a mother figure, and Greta is looking to be a mother figure. It's not overtly sexual, but the whole mother-daughter aspect is interesting because in gay culture, if you're in a relationship with an older man, there's this idea that he's a daddy. People (laughs) don't come to that conclusion right away when they see younger women in relationships with older women, even though the psychosexual dynamics are similar. If this were a movie about an older man and a younger man, right away, people would say that older man was gay. Right. Yeah, I think it's like the classic Lesbians get over-sexualized or under-sexualized in a way that is, like, yeah. usually porny or sibling. Right. And mm-hmm. the the middle ground is usually completely erased. Like, there's not a lot of that in between, which is why it was so fun here, where I feel like they knew that they were doing a little bit of that, where they're like, come on. What is, oh, this, in- what is this intimacy? <laughs> yeah, like, this is basically the Sarah Paulson story. <laughs> One thousand. I was like, it's giving... Sarah and Holland in a big way. They actually yes. kind of look like them. The way as I was reading that quote, and quite literally, Sarah Paulson's face like appeared in my brain. Same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, her face kind of appears in my brain throughout All the day. The time. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I love that Sarah Paulson, we've already mentioned Ryan Murphy and all that kind of stuff, but I love that Sarah Paulson is basically so fucking huge now. And I'm just like, I bet there's a bunch of people who don't even know that she's queer, but also that she is in these May, December romances. Like that is her gem and she is unapologetic and it's super fucking great. It's so great. And they've been together for like a while, right? Well, and she was with Cherry Jones before. So like this is just her type. But I love this idea that, yeah, like there's a bunch of lesbians who are like, they don't have the daddy issues. They're just going for these hot older ladies. Yeah. And I feel like the younger queer community right now as well as well is very obsessed with like these mommy figures. Like Mm. everyone is looking for this middle age actress that we're all like obsessed with. Like we have our Carol fantasy. You know what I mean? Like we're all we're all looking for that. Like, I'm a dumb undergrad. Why don't you like teach me something? Like, it's all (laughs) right (laughs) there. Oh, my God. (laughs) Also, this movie is basically the horror version of Carol. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Kinda. That's wild. Okay. So wow, we need that's to get, hot. <laughs> just get Todd Haynes to come in here and just say, hey, do this, but make it a, do Carol, but make it a horror movie. Honestly. Uh, that's better. Yeah. Um, I, I also wanted to note that just to sort of circle back quickly to this opening scene when we're just seeing the back of Greta, it's a very blatant Marnie homage. So Neil Jordan is also riffing on Hitchcock throughout a lot of this film. Mm, I <clears throat> Do y'all find this movie particularly suspenseful? I would argue I find this movie lacking in thrills, and that's part of my criticism. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's not suspenseful in the sense where you're waiting for the jump scare, right? Right. But there is like a little bit of... It's the mystery, right? Yeah. Like, we want to know what Greta's deal is. I feel like I wasn't waiting for what her deal is. I was waiting for, like, and now what are you going to do, you little freak? Yes. Ooh, okay. Well, I, I guess I, I I think, I mean, granted, Marnie isn't exactly one of Hitchcock's, like, most prized works. No. Um, but, but spoiler alert, it's actually really good and people should go back and watch it. The general <laughs> consensus is it's not one of his best works. <laughs> Shut up, Trace. <laughs> but no, but I'm just saying, if you're going to compare, if you're going to say I'm doing Hitchcocky and I'm going to, I'm trying to do Hitchcock, oh, like, yeah. That, yeah. That's a tall glass of wine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, that is true. It's it's not going to be in anybody's top five Hitchcock, but it is, yeah, I'm going to say it's underrated. Yeah. All right. So, yes, Francis takes the bag home. Erica is very displeased with her because it could have been a bomb. It could have been any number of things. And then when we look inside, we find, ooh, there's money in here, and we could go and get a colonic. <laughs> LOL, that's right. Okay, (laughs) right off the bat, I was like, okay, like, I'm on this movie's wavelength. We're just talking about butthole cleanings. Like, (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. fantastic. And she gets it done. (laughs) She does get it done. I'm curious, though, do you feel like this is the movie having a bit of fun at Erica's expense? You know, oh, you know who Erica is because she's the kind of girl who finds money and immediately goes, let's stick asparagus juice up my butt. (laughs) Why asparagus juice too? Like, granted, I've I've never had a colonic, but like, never had one. But I thought it was just water, or like maybe like a cleansing solution they stuck up there. <laughs> Lol, I kind of took this scene as like, and if I'm making this too much like about lesbian stuff, no, let no, 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 please, this I'm is like... why you're here. It's called horror queers, not <laughs> oh, horror thank gays. God. Oh, thank God! I was like, this for me was like maybe the biggest and only 
time in the film where I was like, maybe Erica is straight because I feel like straight girls are always talking about their butts and shitting in a way that I feel like <laughs> in lesbian culture, like we're not like straight girls are always like, I got to go shit TTYL. And I'm like, lesbians, I feel like we're like much we more demure where mm. I was like uh, this to me. I was like, okay, we get it. She's like that friend. She's like one of the guys. Like, she's like hanging out with the guys. Mm. Oh, that is interesting. But hmm. then the rest of it was like I I felt a lot of sapphic jealousy. So it is like a lot of things going on. But that for sure I was like, do you just want us to know that she's like this type mm-hmm. of like she's like crazy like <laughs> I don't know. Well, but but honestly though, and I will say uh, something that I expected from this film that I'm glad doesn't happen is in any other film this Erica character would have been killed. Absolutely. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she gets one of the best set pieces, I'm going to argue, in the film. But yeah, in any other movie, she would have just been murdered at the end of it. And it would have been like, oh, no, Erica. Is the set piece you're referring to the cell phone picture scene? Yes. Hello. Um, Okay, so the pair of them go and watch a 3D movie, which... (laughs) If you didn't know when this movie was made, this will give you a big idea. Okay, no, I think it's late. You think it's too late? Yeah, because I mean, I guess they filmed this in late 2017, early 2018. But I associate like 3D films with obviously the 50s, but like the like the the turn of 2010. Uh, You know what? Yeah, that that's fair. That's fair. I guess it just more seems. Well, here, follow-up question for the two of you, then. Do you feel like there's a weird timelessness to this film? Like, it could have come out in the early 2000s. For sure. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, the only thing is that phone scene. Right. Oh, my God. The Nokia. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think it has the same timelessness as something like, say, It Follows, but... It's not so dependent on technology around it, or even like the fashion, I think, isn't particularly mm-hmm. like of an era. Right. That's why I feel like it could, it is like, this could be Carol, this could be 2001, <laughs> like it was, I mean, other than the certain phones, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah because I, I read that the production design specifically on Greta's house is meant to be, oh, she's almost trapped in amber, She she's got a bunch of collectible knickknacks because she's so firmly rooted, but also she's maybe, you know, stuck in her memories of her dead husband, her secretly dead daughter. And oh, wow. So I, I guess I was just curious because, yeah, apart from the phones, it's really unclear. This movie could be set in a very broad range of of time periods Mm -hmm. yeah i also feel like greta has her she feels like her own time yes she's living out of time (laughs) yeah well because her house right like where in new york is that oh my god (laughs) (laughs) it's on a dublin soundstage we already talked about that (laughs) oh right right. we're filming in ireland Um, okay, so at this 3D movie, we're getting a little bit of exposition, which of course will become very important for Francis's backstory. So we learn that her dad is a workaholic who moved on very quickly from the grieving process when her mother died recently, and they've had a bit of a falling out, and Francis deeply misses her mother, and I, oh, I'm sorry, I just fell asleep. I was a little bit snoozy. Actually adding to this timelessness is that we have a main character in her like what mid early 20s mm-hmm. named francis for sure <laughs> hell god yeah. Yeah. Or, is, or is that very sapphic too is francis a sapphic name 
I mean, if she's going by Frankie, then yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. In my notes, I was really frustrated because a lot of the time we're calling her Frankie, but then half the the back half of the movie specifically, it feels like we call her Francis exclusively. And I was like, I like Frankie more. Like Chloe Grace Moritz gives off spunky energy to me, even in this film where she is a little bit sleepy, a little bit quiet. But I think Frankie is a much more interesting character name. Completely agree. Okay. So, yes, the next day she is a good Samaritan. She returns the purse and Greta invites her in for coffee. And we get this moment where uh, there's a commotion and Greta gets up and she yells through the wall, you know, hey, keep the noise down over there. And you're just, I'm sorry, that was a remodel. Very... <laughs> <laughs> that was a very um, Borat accent. I, was, I don't know what accent you were just doing. <laughs> well, it's it, very nice. Well, I do fine i mean i've heard huper in several other films and i feel like she is doing a different affectation like she's almost putting a spin on her usual french accent i guess to suggest hey later on she's going to be revealed to be hungarian but like i cannot tell you the name of the dog in this movie because i couldn't figure out if she's saying gordon or morton morton <laughs> I mean, I didn't have subtitles, so that's why. But <laughs> Oh, I had subtitles. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So we've got this, hey, the neighbors are making noise. Ha ha, put that in your back pocket for later. Right, yeah. I'm already scared, by the way, at this point in the film. I'm scared, I'm excited, I'm like, should I pour myself a cup of tea? It feels mm -hmm. right to be drinking tea right now. <laughs> <laughs> I do love it when we have tea in a movie and we're using like antique tea setting places oh, like <laughs> yes mm -hmm. all i want to do is watch middle-age actresses drinking out of tiny little cups and like real silver that's what i want like do oh, that scene yes. for an hour i don't give a fuck like use little tiny little plates that's what i want <laughs> it's very posh i mean this feels like such a refuge right you have to go down the scary alleyway to get to the cute little cottage. And then there's this, you know, petite French woman who's so kindly and cute and eccentric. And you think, oh, okay, I could kind of understand why Francis gets sucked into this. Yeah, I mean, I'm there. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with the bag. I'm like, do you want my money as well? <laughs> and she's a nice person. Uh, yeah. And I will say, you know, because you mentioned Rachel how. Nicole Grace Moore is kind of a badass. Maybe, maybe Joe said that. Sorry, whatever. Um, but she, she, you know, she became known for playing these badass roles. So I actually appreciate her taking this role, which is again kind of the less interesting, like not as like scrappy role, mm -hmm. to at least do something different with her career. Yeah, I do prefer watching her be a top, but it was <laughs> yeah. fun to see the range. <laughs> oh, Rachel, have you? Okay, so there was a movie that came out a couple years ago called Shadow in the Cloud. Ooh, have you seen this? Yes. No, I'm writing okay. it down. It's 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 really short. I think it's like an 80 minute movie, but it's mm -hmm. like it's set in World War Two and she gets on a plane. She's the only woman. And there is a gremlin on the plane that is trying to kill everyone. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> also female directed. Yeah. That's literally all I need. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. I felt like people totally slept on that film or they said, oh, it's just so stupid. It's too straightforward. And I was like, it's a really good action film and very strongly feminist. It's very fun. To, well, also, because it, it got a lot of flack, though, because the writer on it was Max Landis, oh, right. you know, notorious shithead. But the, 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 the director, the female director, like, rewrote the She script. rewrote the whole so, script, like, yeah. I think he might still have a writing credit, but, like, mm -hmm. she gets a co-writing credit to be like, look, I fixed it. Right. <laughs> LOL. I Neil Jordaned it. 
I've loved Chloe Grace Moretz ever since 30 Rock, where she plays like a child, <gasps> but she's yes. topping like Jack Donaghy. Do you know what okay. I'm talking about? Oh, oh yeah. Yes. I, I hate the ocean. It's for tools. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. A hundred percent. That's where I was like, whoever this is, is exactly what I'm talking about. That I, That's my thing. Honestly, everyone, if you're listening to this, because I know Chloe Grace Moretz has haters. If you are a Chloe Grace Moretz hater, please, for the love of God, just go watch a super clip of all of her 30 Rock scenes because mm-hmm. she's so funny in it. She's, but she's so, so foul-mouthed. And perfect. She does it perfectly. Yeah. But also, yeah. like... She's also Hit Girl in the Kick-Ass movies, and if you can watch those movies and not love her character, I don't know what's wrong with you. Well, I think the argument is that she hasn't, and I'm not saying this, but I think people have said this, is that she hasn't done anything as good as Kick-Ass since Kick-Ass. Oh, I strongly disagree with that. I know, I do too. I honestly would also say that The Miseducation of Cameron Post is such Um, an unbelievably good movie. Yes, it's essential queer media. People have to get on that. How can you not love her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also, fun fact, she has two gay brothers. So I'm just like, wow, that is a super queer family. Gay all over this place. Greg. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yes, we feel bad for Greta because she's all by herself with her dead husband and her absent daughter who's over in Paris. So we decide, let's go and pick out a dog. And it's cute. She's still being fun. We're taking her picture in the park and everything is lovely. It's almost like I've got my surrogate mom, or at least that's what Erica calls it, immediately. (laughs) So we do get the reference to how Frances will stick around because she's like chewing gum. And this is something that Greta will pick up on and capitalize later. But um yeah, as I mentioned, Erica really is not down with this new relationship. She doesn't understand why Frances is blowing off people her age to hang out with this elderly woman. I will say, I think the way that Erica says it is really bad. Like, you're not delivering the message in a way that it will be received, but she's not wrong. Like, hey, I can see you're a bit of a naive girl. Maybe don't put yourself out there so much. So you, you think that, did I just snort crystal meth or did you just offer to go dog shopping with some old lady is not the best line delivery? <laughs> <laughs> that would have convinced me. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, somebody was having so much fun with Erica. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wonder how much of this is Micah Monroe now that we know that Neil Jordan was rewriting to kind of match the energy or the intentions of the actors, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That feels like it could be straight up Micah. Like, she's like, I got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I also, I feel like I've, I've had this conversation a thousand times with my, uh, friends because I do ditch most things to go play pickleball with 65 year olds. Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, good times with pickleball though. Yeah. And now all of my friends though are retired and like Eastern European. So I'm kind of right there. There you go. Oh my God. Rachel, once again, knock twice if you're in a trunk in some old lady's basement. (laughs) I am. All she wants to do is play pickleball with me. (laughs) I I think I'm having a good time. I I don't think I'm a captive. (laughs) It's fine. Okay. So yes, as we said, 20 minutes into this movie, it's so well paced up until this point, we make this discovery of this cabinet that is just filled with purses and it is so good well because you don't expect this to happen so soon and Mm-mm. so i i feel like this sets me up specifically for a movie where it's like okay cool we're gonna subvert expectations and kind of blow through plot 
Mm-mm. And we don't do that. No. This, yeah, this is definitely where I go. This is the type of movie that I like. I like this. This is yeah. what I want right yeah. now in this part of the movie. Show me all of the purses. Like, send me down the rabbit hole. We're there. Because mm-hmm. I, I think this is one of my favorite parts of it. Absolutely. I will say, at least. I mean, like, even though, yes, I do think we're kind of inert for the next, like, 45-ish minutes. It's not like we're ahead of Francis for the entire that all that runtime. So because she already knows it, we're at least like on the same page as her. Mm-hmm. It just dawdles too much. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. So Francis, as you said earlier, Trace, she's not stupid. She immediately picks up on this. She is weirded out. She bails on the dinner. I do love that we have this moment where she tries to leave and she cannot get the front doors open because we've got Chekhov's locks here. so she goes home and just totally ices greta so she's not interested in taking her calls she dodges her she does not want to see her i do love that moment where she checks her messages at work and it's just a row of missed (laughs) call messages from greta and then erica says uh yeah she's been calling the landline too and you need to make this stop But you can, it's like everyone's blaming Francis for this. I'm like, it's not her. I mean, okay, yes, yes. Like she was the one that like, but she knows it's gonna happen. Like she is, she is the victim here. No, they're literally <laughs> like, can't you take care of your stalker? We're like, it is wild. No one has sympathy for this girl. Like not her boss. Later on, that female bartender is so up and down. Where it's just like, oh, good luck with your stalker. And then it's like, oh, I guess I'll call the police for you. <laughs> I'm actually right. a little surprised Erica isn't also her coworker at the restaurant. Mm. Yeah. Erica doesn't work, does she? Uh, well, how does she pay for all those? She's she rich. Money, money, obviously. Oh, right. Because remember, they're staying in her dad's loft. Ah, uh, yes. Oh. Right, she doesn't have to work. God, that must be nice. Was I the only one during this part of the film? Like, I started to feel bad for Greta, and I'm like, is that something I, like were you guys worried i was worried about greta well i i think throughout this entire movie i do have a certain amount of empathy for greta if mm-hmm. only because she is clearly mentally ill yeah um i'm with you at this point in the film rachel where i think you know what maybe give her the benefit of a doubt let her explain obviously you know the way that we get presented the row of purses there's I think a stinger or some kind of swell on the score. So we're meant to realize, oh, this is a proper thriller horror moment. But she seems so apologetic. And part of me is like, oh, you know, if somebody found out something about me, I would want the opportunity to even just clear the air. Yeah. Like, let me explain my purses, please. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt bad. I will Uh say, I'm glad you mentioned the score, though, because outside of the writer having a lot of shit to his name, Everyone else in this production is, like, wildly talented. It has, like, a lot of good movies on their belt. But the, the guy that did the score for this, Javier Navarrete, um, he did a lot of Del Toro films, like Pan's Life and the Devil's Backbone, but he Ooh. also did In a Glass Cage. <gasps> no. Right? Right? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Rachel, that is a really fucked up older queer film. I'm literally writing it down as we speak, In a Glass Cage. Yeah. yeah. Um, content warnings. Oh, yeah. Uh, for everything. <laughs> Okay, great. I want you guys to know that like, I'm mostly here because I am looking for more movie recommendations, and I think you guys really understand what's happening here. That's okay. fine. Great. <laughs> if you take our recommendations and go watch these movies, this is a job well done. Great. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, so I did want to highlight the fact that part of the reason I read a queer reading into this so easily mm-hmm. is because of the way that Erica talks about stalking. So in some ways, it's very straightforward. It's the kinds of things you would expect to hear. But Erica always dispenses everything like it's relationship advice that she herself has lived through. And it's mm-hmm. always gender neutral, or there's no gender at all. So in this point, she says, you know, Unfortunately, it's not easy, especially if they don't want to go and you want to know the kicker, the crazier they are, the harder they cling. And part of me is like, oh, that seems like Erica has had a stalker. But normally in other films, she would be like, you know, my crazy ex-boyfriend or something. And here we're not using genders. And also it just sounds like you're saying, oh, this is how you get rid of a lover. And it's like, oh, I wasn't sleeping with Greta. Wait. Was I in a relationship with Greta? Hmm. <laughs> well, because she'll bring up, what would she call it, the slow fade later in the yes. movie? <laughs> Which, P.S. Girl, that's just called ghosting. That's not a slow fade. <laughs> well, older Maybe we didn't do it this. then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Greta shows up for the first of two times at the restaurant, and this is when Henry, who is Jeff Hiller from Somebody Somewhere and other things, basically doesn't help, but... Um, Yeah, Greta wants to call her sweetheart and chérie, and yes, these are French terms of endearment, but also, it sounds like something you would call a lover. For sure. (laughs) She got the ick bad. Like, Francis (laughs) literally was like, absolutely not. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I, I like, you know, I feel bad for Greta, but also, it's nice that Francis doesn't just fall back into the pattern, right? Like, I know we said this is not the most exciting section of this film, but... Everything that's happening between Francis and Greta feels authentic to me. I just cannot believe that her boss does not like mm. she's like, can you please tell her to go away? And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I was like, really? Like, I feel like <laughs> if you're a manager and one of your employees says, hey, this person is stalking and or harassing me and they're here and I, I don't want to see them. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't make them go see that person. <laughs> no, right. for sure. He's like, sorry, capitalism. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no that made zero sense but this scene very much is a lover's quarrel in a big way yes oh yeah 100%. you showed up at my work because we're having a fight and right. you're doing this in front of my boss well and oh, yeah. yeah 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 i mean as soon as she tells her i never want to see you again it's like oh girl no 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 no, no. <laughs> you don't say that yet <laughs> you just escalated this up a notch for sure yeah and Erica just said the crazy they are the crazy they are the harder they cling and you mm-hmm. just dropped a bomb. Yeah, so Greta steps it up. She spends the entire next day standing in front of the restaurant on the other side of the street which is public as we are told <laughs> by Officer DeRoy who is played by Thaddeus Daniels and and yeah, this is also where he tells her ignore her, she's just looking for attention. The more you give her, the more she'll expect back. So we're telling Francis this in multiple different ways, and she's kind of getting it, but also she's not. And that is something, again, people will always tell you. And again, because I, I, whenever I had my stalker, I made, I made a tweet about it, like, at some point. And I had, like, two people message me, and they were like, hey, you really shouldn't do that. Like, you're going mm-hmm. to antagonize them. They're going to only do this more because you're talking about it. And I was like, right. I get it. I get it. But it still sounds like you're blaming me for this. No, truly. <laughs> Don't tell me how to process my own stalker internet. Well, and the other problem is, is that you basically have to remain silent and deal with it all by yourself. So what the person has done is isolated you like 
Again, that's why I think the Erica character is so important, particularly in this film, is that otherwise Francis doesn't have anyone to turn to. Clearly can't rely on dad, clearly can't rely on co-workers. And I think that would make it maybe scarier. However, that's also more predictable, you know, like that's mm-hmm. what we see in these types of films. So I like that we have the er- honestly, Eric is like the, the sole like moment of originality. In this movie where I'm like, OK, cool. Like we're doing something different by even keeping this character around, having her be a mm-hmm. genuinely good friend for this girl. Like, yeah. yeah, yep. So Francis decides she's going to sneak away from work. She checks all the security cameras and then she ducks out the back. But as soon as she gets on that subway, Greta is there. As soon as she gets home, Greta is there. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, this old lady is bamfing around New York, just showing up everywhere. Dude, she's like Jason Voorhees. Like she teleports to this town. Mm-hmm, exactly. Honestly, and this is my toxic trait, but I was like, it must be nice to be wanted so hard. <laughs> Oh, no, I want a Greta. <laughs> I mean, I do feel like that could be a criticism of this movie is what is so special about Francis that Greta is willing to go to all these great lengths? Well, OK, can I ask? I, get, I think we kind of get the answer here. But what is Greta's end game? Like, do, is she aware that she will just be cycling through these girls because eventually she will have to kill them? Or is she like, no, you're going to be my new daughter. I'm going to teach you the piano and then you're going to mm-hmm. do concerts. I, <laughs> what is the end game here? I think this is like, yeah, somebody who doesn't realize how hard they're playing with their toys, like completely yes. dehumanizing of other beings. It's mm. like, you're mine. And then oopsie, too far, mm-hmm. next toy. Yeah. Mm. Oops, I pulled the head off my my Kenner Barbie doll. It just happened to be a royal person and I'm covering them in lye and putting them in the cellar. Yeah. And buying a different of the exact same model. Yeah. (laughs) But this this moment in the film is very telling. So when Greta approaches her in the hallway of the loft, like you've literally snuck into the building, lady. You are unhinged. But she says, I'm lonely. Like I just want a friend. And you said you were always going to be there. Didn't you say and promise me you were going to stick around like chewing gum? And in that, I think this is kind of one of the final moments I feel bad for Greta, because Mm -hmm. I do think that it's portraying, you know, the life of an elderly person who is a, a widow who doesn't have a child and you make a connection and you push too yeah. hard. Mm-hmm. I think that is relatable. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I'm like, we've all been there. We're like, why are you? <laughs> we've all been dumped, right? On a subway mm-hmm. or <laughs> I'm definitely this is the yeah, this is a time where you're like, shit, OK, maybe. But like, right. maybe, <laughs> maybe. And then Francis is like, no, you need no. to leave. And Greta spits her gum in her hair. <laughs> OK, OK. No, because it's her lines of dialogue. You know, she goes, you always said you stick around like chewing gum. Please, let's try to start again. I love you. And then cut to like the gum scene. She's like, I tried to talk to you. I tried, but you wouldn't listen. People can't keep doing this to me. And then just mm-hmm. spits it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I always forget that like that like sweet tender when they're like really appealing to the emotion is really just a manipulation. (laughs) The second you take that away, it's Mm -hmm. gum in the hair. Now, a question, because admittedly I don't have long hair. 
we then cut to Erica like trying to get the gum out of her hair. Why mm-hmm. would like she? It looks like she's making it worse. Why don't you just immediately <laughs> take scissors and just cut out that strand of hair? Oh, you try to salvage. I feel yes. like step one is you're trying to hold on to as much as you can without the scissors. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the scissors is the last resort. I think you would try peanut butter first or yes, maybe some kind yes. of oil to try to get it out. Yeah, Ugh. maybe like a powdery. <laughs> There's separately ways. And then you end with the scissors and well, worst, the razor. It oh looks boy. like she's massaging the gum into more of her <laughs> it, It's not great. You know what? Erica's never had a job, so she doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> Yeah, this is the hardest. Hairstylist will not be one of them. Yeah, (laughs) you know what? After this movie, Erica went to uh, cosmetology school (laughs) so that she could learn how to take gum out of stalking victims' hairs. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. Okay, so at this point, it's restraining order time. So Erica and Francis go to the police station, but they're told it could take months and. I think as ridiculous as a lot of things that happened in this movie, unfortunately, this is one of the most, yep, this is how it would happen in real life too, kind of moments. Yeah, absolutely. But also like months? Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Paperwork. Paperwork. You got to get the judge to sign off on it. So so uh, this is when we realize, oh shit, this old woman still has that dog. How do we know if the dog is okay? Because she's acting a little wackadoodle. So Francis goes to the animal shelter to see if she can do anything. And they're basically like, uh, <laughs> she took that dog when we were about to put it down. So no, we're not interested in getting the dog back. Thank you. Um, are you talking about that sweet French lady you came here with? <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that she's basically like, who, that old French lady with the baguette and the delightful Parisian accent? And you're just like, uh, those people can also be sociopaths. This is also very reminiscent of a scene from The L Word where Jenny, who is like the biggest villain on the show, literally gets a, like adopts a geriatric dog to get vengeance on like an ex's current partner who's a vet. So the whole thing, I was like, we've seen this before. That is what that is fantastic, and I hope yes. other people made that connection. <laughs> I think Jenny. the dogs looked similar. I was like, this whole thing is like very L word. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenny is Mia Kirshner. That makes yes. a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. So good. Um, okay. So Francis decides, okay, well, I'm going to go and check on the dog. So she bikes to Greta's house and she's looking around. Greta's not there, but she does find discarded returned mail that uh, went to daughter Nicola and has been returned unopened. Oh, no. And now we know. Mm-hmm. She never <laughs> went to Paris. So this old bitty has been lying. Okay. But uh, this is, again, the movie thing that we were stupid, because there's an ADR line when Chloe Grace Moritz is looking at this letter, and the, you just hear, I thought you were in Paris, as mm-hmm. if the audience forgot <laughs> that that's where this girl was supposed to be. Like, okay. <laughs> okay, so Francis goes home, and the loft is empty, because she forgot that Erica and friends are out at the bar. I just wanted to make a quick highlight that Erica is wearing a pink jacket with cow-spotted sleeves, and it is (laughs) fucking amazing. Yes. So good. (laughs) Uh, So Frances is startled when she gets a phone call from her father, Chris, who is played by Colm Fiore. This is how you know that the film was partially shot in Canada. (laughs) 
and uh, they bicker about, you know, all of their usual shit. I don't think we need her dad in this movie at all. No. Cut him. It's like such a nothing part. And I will say Comfior is a fantastic actor. But if you're going to hire him, you need to either give him more to do or just say, mm, maybe we don't need this character at all. Yeah, well, because again, you think, okay, well, he's going to be introduced to die, but that's mm -hmm. what the Stephen Ray detective is for. Yes, yeah. To the point where you almost wish we hadn't hired the detective, we had to just sent dad looking. Right? That would make sense. But yeah. whatever. Yeah. So this is when we get our best sequence, in my humble opinion, in the film, as Francis starts receiving pictures of Erica in the bar, in the alley, on the subway, on the street, as Greta oh is just magically following her and sending these really inappropriate messages back to Francis. This is like some ghost face type shit, though, because mm -hmm. I agree. I think this is the most effective, especially in terms of suspense, like seen yes. in the movie. But so many times Erica turns around and I was like, where is this bitch? Like, where yes. is she invisible? <laughs> yeah. It would yeah. have made it more scary for me if, like, I didn't get any reaction from Erica. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. Because I think then I would have been like, only we know and we cannot help her. Like, her being like, I don't see anything. I'm fine. I'm like, I guess everyone's fine. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, where is she? Like, how far away could she be? But I also love her, like, horror at having to take the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this is how we know she's a bougie bitch, because she's just like, oh, I can't believe I have to get on the subway. No, I'm not doing it. Oh, I'm getting on a bus. It's even worse. <laughs> and then she's still on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do kind of love this for Erica's character, though, because I don't think she disbelieves Francis, but she hasn't been experiencing it. She's been experiencing the less enjoyable, like, uh, the phone just keeps ringing because this Greta bitch keeps calling. But here it's like, oh, I'm actually being targeted. But then we end this thrilling moment when we finally nearly run Erica over in the cab and she hops mm -hmm. in. And when she looks at the picture, she's like, oh, but she's actually taking good photos of me. <laughs> <laughs> Very on brand for Erica. Yes. True. <laughs> Okay, so we get a phone call from a new character, Alexa Hammond, who is played by Zowie Ashton, and this is revealed to be the addiction counselor of Nicola, and also her former partner, so confirmed queerness in this yeah, here very gay movie. And uh, we also learn that Nicola is dead. She died by suicide four years earlier. This is, I actually think this scene is pretty creepy, though, because it builds very well to, like, where everything on Alexa's face is like, Molly, you in danger, girl. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is another instance where I thought we were introducing this character and we were going to do something more with them. Not just because I, I like Ashton as an actor, mm -hmm. but because it seemed like the Nicola thing is just a, oh, okay, it's another confirmation that Greta is not well mentally, but then we don't do anything further with, oh, like your daughter's dead. You know, we never confront Greta with this information. And we don't even say out loud, oh, you're trying to replace your daughter with me. Well, because okay, I, I get that's what she's doing, right? Again, so many links to the skin I live in from last week. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. Why, why doesn't anyone say your daughter's dead? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
it, it feels like it's information for us as an audience alone. And it's something that Francis learns, but she doesn't do anything with. Yeah. But we do also get a reference to a literal box that Nicola would be put in as a young girl. So we are foreshadowing where we're going to go. Well, because at this point, Alexa says, I, I think it was a literal box. I don't think it was mm-hmm. like a metaphor, but we don't know yet. Although, I mean, we know. We <laughs> like know. the viewers are probably like, no, it's probably a box. <laughs> <laughs> we can figure it out. <laughs> okay, so... Later, when she's at work, her dad calls Francis, and he basically says, hey, you should cut Greta off. This feels like a scene that's only in here to remind us that the dad is a character in the film. (laughs) And then we get the table-flipping scene at the restaurant, where Greta is waiting for her, demanding to be served by Francis, disagreeing with all of her recommendations on the specials, and then, yeah, she has a full-blown meltdown to the extent that onlookers in this restaurant have to hold her back this is great again because i I, you don't expect something like this to happen at this Mm -hmm. point i'm in a public place right but then that you get that line drop of like where i think it's something along the lines of your mother had to die so that Mm -hmm. you could meet me (laughs) oh god (laughs) so bad yeah and i think she's also screaming like you just need to be loved let me love you (laughs) and stuff you're like, yeah. oh boy, oh well, boy. She so, does take it to a 10 over there. Do you think the onlookers think this is a breakup scene? I mean. I would. <laughs> well, you're biased. Right. Are <laughs> <laughs> you gays? You see gayness and everything. True. I mean, I guess if I was in this restaurant, I would be looking at this and saying, okay, this is not healthy that woman is not okay and the fact that officer deroy ends up being called to the scene i will say moritz absolutely nails the line where she says i should just try to ignore her right yeah it's fantastic and at least i'm glad we get his reaction shot too (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah okay so unfortunately this as it would in real life, accounts for nothing. So by the time Francis is calling the police station, she's figured out that Greta has already been released. So she's back on the streets. And this is when Erica suggests the idea of a slow fade. So apologize, make amends, and then be like, I'm going to leave and do work on myself. Bye. So Francis gives it a shot. She goes to church uh, where we talked about Greta's husband, Christoph, and where he played the organ. And we patch things up. This is where Greta does ask Francis if she's lying. And then she insists on getting a hug. Uh, that's that's the first clue. And she's like, you wouldn't lie to me, would you? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. girl, she knows you're lying. She knows like. you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we we do get a weird moment where we can see that Greta is doing a test run of drugging the dog in anticipation of doing this to mm. Francis. We should also note that we will never see the dog again in this movie. I was going to ask, the dog doesn't die, does it? Or, or should we assume that it has been killed? I feel like I assume that they're... I feel like everyone's always killing a dog first. Yeah. Yes. Like, everyone's, like, taking an animal or a dog and then being like, now we know that you're, like crazy enough to kill a dog Mm -hmm. so i feel like the dog's gone rip okay yeah that's kind of how i felt too but it's weird that we get this scene because there was a scene earlier where francis was worrying about the dog and it's accompanied by this visual image of greta you know putting the leash on the dog and walking it into the dark 
and you think, oh, she's definitely off killing that dog. But then we seem to get confirmation here that the dog is still alive, at least for now. Well, maybe it's on the cutting room floor. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then we follow Francis as, you know, hey, I effectively slow faded Greta. I'm living my best life in New York, biking, the sun is out everything's hunky-dory the song is like this bop that's going on like mm -hmm. my life is good oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep she goes home she nukes some coffee she lays down on the couch and then oopsie uh we start to get a little disoriented and then this is when greta comes in and we're being helped by a cab driver who's been waiting outside to put her in so we can drive her across town to Greta's house and dump her in a trunk. But I love that her first inkling that something is wrong is that the plants have been overwatered. So she's <laughs> just like, Erica, did you water the plants? <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's giving real like Cindy the TV is leaking energy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will say, I mean, I know we would still argue that we're in the slower part of the movie because we haven't quite gotten to the abduction. That's technically what's happening right now. But I like this bait and switch. Normally, this would piss me off a lot, but... She falls off the couch and we think, oh, okay, that was just a nightmare sequence because we were expecting it. Oh, and then we do all this fake bullshit where, you know, she prepares to pack to go on vacation. She's going to go away with her dad. Erica's has given her this good send off. And then she wakes up in the fucking trunk and we realize, oh, no, what we saw was really what happened. And Greta did drug her and abduct her. I will coast him and Rachel just to give you some backstory. Like I have been on record as saying that fake like nightmare sequences to, to just get a jump scare is like one of my least favorite horror movie tropes. I think it's so fucking lazy. And especially when what we see in the nightmare is more interesting than what's actually happening in the film proper. Mm -hmm. Right. But with this, yeah, this worked for me because there was a, oh God, I'm going to sound so fucking pretentious saying this. There was a thematic reason to have it be like this. And I like that we get this kind of effects heavy sequence where the elevator closes in on her. Mm -hmm. yeah it like it's genuinely cool yeah absolutely this was serving escape room vibes for me mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it felt like we were watching a different movie but i was actually really here for it and mm -hmm. then it's like oh no this is just her nightmare that she feels like the walls are closing in because secretly she's in a very tight trunk because they are mm -hmm. <laughs> and now here we go and here we go. Yes. And this is when we get, this is the bed of lies. <laughs> <laughs> that line, I mean, we have not praised Isabel Huppert's performance in this. Like, she is fine as an older lady who's like very kind and nice. But when we let her off the leash as the film progresses, she takes so much delight in the campier parts of this performance. But again, that's the thing, though. I mean, there, there's so many fun tidbits in this performance in these last 30 minutes. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, I do something else. Like, I don't know, like have, uh, have her prop like some corpses up and have a tea party or something. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Yes, folks, that is just Ma. That is just the plot of Ma. <laughs> hey, but you know what, though? That's why I liked Ma more. <laughs> <laughs> Except those kids weren't even dead. That was the sad part. Well, yeah, no, because, again, we're led to believe that she's done this multiple times and she's mm -hmm. killed all these women. Yes. So it would be several female corpses in various states of decay. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's so good. See, there's your movie. Could have been good. Mm -hmm. Could have been good. I wish that... Francis could have interacted with the other girls back there. A little bit more, right? 
Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, I actually did forget about the scene where she finds the other girl's body, and mm-hmm. I thought that was, well, it was very reminiscent of Jeepers Creepers, but I did find it very effective. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough, right? It it feels like we're just giving all of the other characters short shrift. Like, we're getting a lot of Francis, we're getting a lot of Greta, we're getting a good amount of Erica, and then everybody else is like, are your scenes on the cutting room floor? Because why else are you really here? Yeah. Also, <laughs> I'm going to repeat more lines, though, but like, I, I, this is also when Greta starts referring to herself in the third person, which is the true mark of a psychopath. Um, <laughs> just trying to get rid of Greta. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's like she's starting to dissociate a little bit. <laughs> she's really losing it for sure. I love it. I love it. So we discovered that this trunk is actually in a secret room that is hidden behind the piano. So, of course, we flash back, not in this moment, but in our minds as a viewing audience, we remember, oh, right. Remember that sound of banging that we heard and Greta yelled at the wall and said, a little silence, please. (laughs) Renovations. I just like, oh, fuck. That's because she had another girl in there. Oh, God, she keeps them coming quick. There's like no break Honestly, between them. It's it, it's a miracle she hasn't been caught before this. I'm uh-huh. not gonna lie. Well, yeah, I mean, we know that she hasn't been doing this for more than four years, right? Because I think that's the other reason we learned that her daughter is dead. Hypothetically, this sends her over the edge. But it's like, how many girls did you put through? Like, how many bags were in that cupboard? Because that's probably how many people oh, she's either right. done this to. I actually have a question as to like how many times she went to the DMV to get all these copies of her license to put in all these purses she oh keeps. Gosh. That's a great question because she really had a lot of paperwork done. <laughs> like she's like, I'm sorry, I lost it. <laughs> yeah. Or she's or she's forging them in her own apartment, right? <laughs> okay, well, you know what? This back room that's her secret daughter's room that needs to be like a printing press room. <laughs> We just need a scene of Isabel Huppert with, you know, one of those like eye patchy things where yeah. you're you're looking at things in a magnifying glass, like soldering new. I don't I don't know why you would solder. A, a She's doing like the black light test to make sure all the hidden images on the ID are there because all yeah. states have that on their IDs. <laughs> Greta could have been an expert forger, but I have isolation <laughs> problems. <laughs> um okay so yes obviously francis needs to have a bit of a breakdown we smash a chair we cry ourselves to sleep it's all very upsetting and um i do love that part of the reason that greta has gotten away with this is because now that she knows how to use phones we can just send pictures to dad and erica suggesting oh yeah i'm on vacation with the other one so no one will come looking for francis for quite a while this was a really good idea, but again, she does not have a lot of thought about the long game. Mm-mm. Because this was clearly eventually going to backfire. Well, and I like that the movie doesn't drag it out because we get the scene and everybody seems fine with it. We get a transition that suggests a little bit of time has passed, but we don't know quite how much. And immediately, Chris, that's the dad, and Erica realize that they've been lied to. And they figure out, okay, it's probably this Greta character. Yeah, (laughs) this Greta character. (laughs) And of course, we're also seeing that, yeah, Frances is being taught how to play the piano. She's getting her hands smacked whenever she makes a mistake. Oh my god, it's erotic, honestly, for some people. That is... (laughs) I'm glad you said that. (laughs) I mean, there was so much hands in this film in general that I'm like, we get it. Like, 
It's I for mean, us. <laughs> lesbians, hands, always yeah. in cinema. Well, because she, she loves touching Francis's face. Like, whenever she's like, mm. mon chéri, she, like, caresses her cheek or something. Yes. And then when you add the glove to it, with this, like, mm. burgundy fabric glove. Come on, oh. it's Carol. It's so yes. Carol. Love? It's so yes. lush. Like, she puts on a glove over her amputated finger, and it's just like... Hey, that's going to get infected and it's probably really going to hurt. But it's like you couldn't have picked something that you don't mind getting blood in. I would have taken a longer montage of this stuff. And I mm. feel like they didn't do it because they thought it'd be maybe too silly, too hokey after a while. But again, that's kind of what I want from this movie. See, Same. I wanted more of this ruler slapping the hands when she fucks up a piano note. Mm -hmm. Yes, I wanted more a little bit of punishment, a little bit more piano. I'd like, yeah. like, maybe they do it together. Imagine they do it together. <sighs> well, like, because what? actually, the, the other movie this reminds me of is Misery. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't make a Reddit book, obviously. But, yeah, like, make the whole arc of this last act be like, no, you have to get this particular piece by Chopin perfect. Yes. <laughs> and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Or it's the perfection. I will amputate a finger every time you make a mistake on the piano, and then I'm going to, uh, you know, deliver you to the mass audiences as yep. a piano protege. Absolutely. Oh <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, unfortunately, we really don't spend a lot of time with what does the day-to-day -day look like for Greta and Francis, because... We have to introduce private investigator Brian Cody, who is Neil Jordan regular Stephen Ray, and he has dug into Greta's past. Yeah, so we already knew that she was she was secretly Hungarian, and so he confirms that, and we also realize that she is a nurse, which is how we, I guess, put two and two together, that she knows how to medicate people and keep them subdued for as long as she has. Rachel, why do you think, hey, so I guess outside of the fact that it's like, okay, we're hiding the fact that she's Hungarian, why does she pretend to be French? Why doesn't she just be Hungarian? I feel like French is way more alluring. You can really, yes. like, it's sexy. She knows. Mm -hmm. And I think there's that, like, whenever you hear a different language or a different thing, you're like, that one's way sexier than whatever the fuck I'm doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess I'm the person that thinks Russian is a very, very sexy accent and language, but but no one else thinks that. So I'm over here like, I like Hungarian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she does get to speak a couple of lines of Hungarian. Like when she flips the table in the restaurant, she does yell something in Hungarian. And it's good. I Yeah, I do get a slight tinge of like xenophobia here where, yeah, Hungarian's not as sexy or it might cause red flags. Whereas, you know, oh, if somebody's from France, then they're just French and we're totally fine with it. They're just French. They're just <laughs> French. Right. There's nothing harmful about a French. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Hungarian, you can't trust them. Who knows what they're going to do to you. Okay, so uh, I will say another check for this film is the sequence where we are making cookies and yeah. oh we cut off a finger, we oh. whack Greta in the head with a rolling pin, and I oh. keep waiting for this to be revealed as a dream sequence, and it's motherfucking not. Yeah. Yeah, this was really like, things are really kicking up. The whole mm -hmm. time, you're kind of waiting, you're wanting Francis to like smack the shit out of her. I mean, imagine. Yes. You're playing along with piano, you know, the whole time you're waiting for her to really just do something. And mm -hmm. I don't know if I was expecting it, but I was definitely hoping it to be a finger injury. <laughs> oh, okay. With the piano and the metronome. Right. And it's like, it's all like, oh. all of her power comes from these 
nasty little digits. So let's absolutely take a rolling pan and smack one off. Like, I was Mm -hmm. like, hell yeah. I actually can't believe that we don't slam the piano key cover on her fingers. That would have been thematically appropriate. But, but, I mean, I I agree with you, Doug. This scene is very thrilling and fun. And, of course, it's Francis's kindness that fucks her over again because she's like, oh, I can help this nearly dead girl in the basement. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and, and of course, we're paying off the fact that the house is actually... Not only a house of horrors with, yes, plenty of bodies in the basement, but also locked up tighter than a drum, which, yeah. as I alluded to earlier, we we had referenced because, you know, oh, there's all the locks that are complicated on the front door. You need to get the key and that kind of stuff. So I I like that we're sort of people under the stairs in here for a little bit. Mm hmm. Yeah, but uh, Francis doesn't make it far because, of course, yeah, she finds Samantha in the basement and she tries to help her, but then she gets knocked back out. And when she wakes up, we, <laughs> I mean, we, we've got this incredible sequence where Greta is just injecting this wound in oh. her finger. It's not an extreme close-up, but it is a close-up and it goes on for a good amount of time. This is the yeah. most horrific bloody sequence in the film but it's because you hate needles i always forget you hate needles don't like needles Uh, just watching her stick it straight in is right into where it hurts the most i'm like this i can't yeah i was definitely not watching this part i said absolutely not Not even on an angle directly into the wound straight on with the needle i know it looks like she's sucking out that bone marrow like that girl in uh, saw Uh. 10 (laughs) so gross (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah and then we cover it up with this beautiful regal looking velvety purple glove and um when francis regains consciousness she's naked in the bathtub and i was like oh it got a little rapey for a hot second now i was gonna say you know she's shitting in that trunk isn't she oh 100 percent. she's sure. shitting in that bed all the time a hundred percent i was thinking i said where are we shitting Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I, I get stress diarrhea, so it's not like <laughs> clean shit that I'm shitting in that trunk. <laughs> I mean that—that's the real kicker. It's not like oh, there's a secret room behind the piano. It's what is that smell behind the piano? Because this whole <laughs> house smells like poop. For sure. Also, the bodies in the basement, like those, should be reeking. Oh, no. We, that's why we cover them with lye. We just, you know, cover them with a bit of dirt. They're fine. They're fine. They're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, yes, we, we learned that Samantha did not survive this encounter. So she's fully dead. Thanks for popping up for that one scene. You're gone. <laughs> and then we handcuff Francis to bed. We gag her. And then we jump back to P.I. Cody. Is this where we get her screaming like a ton of times? I feel like she's then kind of screaming for the rest of the movie, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, Francis as a character just kind of goes into full flight or fight mode at this point. But yeah, she she spends most of the rest of the film screaming into this gag and just hyperventilating. Yeah. (laughs) She's losing control. She's never lost this much control before because she's never she's never kidnapped a girl, I guess, who had money i don't i don't know (laughs) i mean we're talking about francis you're talking about greta oh yeah never mind (laughs) (laughs) okay so pi cody tracks greta down he manages to find the house uh he climbs up on the roof when she arrives and i love the way that she disarms him by acting like this 
you know, bumbling old woman who's like, oh, are you from the IRS? You would tell me if you were here to collect taxes from me, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> Trying desperately to be like, I don't have a bunch of women down here. <laughs> right. This definitely isn't a place where I just bury women's bodies after luring <laughs> them here with purses on the subway. No. God. So, uh, yeah, she invites him in for coffee. She keeps asking him if he's from the IRS. And because Francis has realized that someone is there and she can maybe catch their attention and get out of here, get rescued, she starts making a bunch of noise, screaming, banging on the wall. And this is where Greta starts up the Chopin. And then uh, she attributes the noise to the dog. Who is apparently dead. I mean, we have not seen the dog. We will not see the dog. <laughs> So the ticking metronome on top of the piano does catch the P.I.'s attention. And this is when Huppert just goes into absolute maniacal overdrive. <laughs> so she skips into the room barefoot to inject oh him with a sedative. And then as he's trying to like stay conscious, we see his blurry perspective. He pulls out his gun and she's dancing around and <laughs> sassing him as he takes <laughs> shots at her. And nearly kills Francis in her trunk. Oh, this Honestly. Is, love this. Love this. This, this is, is amazing. Like, she's so small, right? I'm like, how petite Oof. is Greta? Mm -hmm. She's very <laughs> tiny. <laughs> and th th this, to me, is the peak of the film's camp. And 100%. I wish, I wish we had... Th this is the energy that I'm wanting from most of this movie. Yes. Mm -hmm. But also, the sequence itself is too short. I just need this longer. Like, I wanted to see her villain monologue doing this dancing thing. Yes! Make it five, ten minutes. For yeah, sure. she needs to be titty twisting. I could, <laughs> yes, yes. I could have seen her dancing so much more. And honestly, different types of dancing. If for a second she kind of <gasps> pops and locks, yes. I don't know. <laughs> she just Megan's it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> There, yes, that's the meme we needed. Where, where yeah. were all of you? <laughs> where, why did you let Greta down when you gave it to that dancing child who was a robot instead? And then Ma gets the y'all don't make me drink alone now. Exactly. <laughs> like this movie deserved at least a meme of Isabel Huppert dancing around. Come on. Yes. That's what we're gonna have to do. Honestly, whenever we see something that's memeable that we don't think is getting the attention it deserves, then we have to we have to do it. We have to send the meme out there and hope that it gets traction. <laughs> we truly have a queer responsibility. <laughs> you have to make the memes that you want to see in the world. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what do we think of the fact that she kills the PI, but she does it off screen? Were you disappointed? Did you want to see the shots? Uh, it's a gunshot, so I didn't care. If she was stabbing him or like gutting him or something, I'd be like, no, fucking, you're an R-rated movie. Show us that. But like, do I need to see another bullet in the head? Eh, I don't care. Yeah, mm. I didn't want to see the bullets. If it would have been like a her on top of him strangling, sure. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Ooh, beating him with that rolling pin. Oh, God. <gasps> yes. Yeah. Yes. Honestly, if he was smushed by a piano. Uh, yes. Oh, my God. Like, she just pushes the piano over on top of him and crushes his skull. <laughs> yeah, it plays like a weird minor chord on his head. Uh, <laughs> uh, Rachel, yes. <laughs> so now much we're better. having fun. <laughs> 
I do love how unceremonious this death is. Like, you know, this to me is the film's acknowledgement that men are ineffectual and unimportant. You know, dad is not important. He'll come back for one scene at the very end of the film. But this PI, you definitely think, oh, he's figured it out. He found Greta super easily. He's going to crack this case. Maybe he'll get killed bringing Francis out of this room. But I didn't expect him to go down so easily. And I think it's a real testament to the film saying, no, the women are important, not the men. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I feel like that is a huge takeaway. And on top of that, how important just a friendship is. Mm -hmm. One good friend could save your whole life. Jesus, thank God for Erica. If not, Francis would, well, I guess Francis would be down in the bottom with the other girl. <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, we're basically seeing Greta in disposal mode so she chucks this body down into the cellar she covers it with lye the whole time she's basically talking about why she does all this which you could say is a little repetitive but i think it's kind of useful just to cement this idea that she is lonely she has nobody and then it sets up this idea that oh well francis still has somebody she has erica and erica is now the one who's going to save her yeah i just I love this entire thing, though. It's such a fun, like, I don't remember when I first saw this, if I knew where it was coming. But again, this this fucking wig reveal we get, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So Greta goes back to work because obviously Francis is no longer fun to play with. We've twisted her too hard, as you said, Rachel. So yeah. we need to start laying purses back out on the subway. And we see a dark haired girl pick it up, walk down this very familiar alley, be offered tea or coffee, one of the two. And we think we know what's going to happen because we see the drop of sedative go into the cup in slow-mo, filmed very beautifully, except, bam, twist, bitch. This is actually Greta's cup, and this is actually Erica wearing a not-at-all-convincing wig, <laughs> wig reveal. Hell and she's yeah. doing a Texan accent, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm honestly just so glad that Erica doesn't have a job because you don't have the time right. to do all this. <laughs> If you're also working, I'm like, she needs to go get a wig, learn the accent, come up She's, with a plan. She, she says, you're cracking a joke, and she literally says, do you know how long I had to ride the subway to find your fucking purse? <laughs> <laughs> That's her full-time job now. Truly. She was a subway rider for like six months. <laughs> Here's the thing. I actually am on board with the... I think this is all oh, this fantastic. Is this yeah. is still this good. Is, yeah, because I truly didn't expect that we were going to be doing this. And again, mm -hmm. it's a thing where I wish this were a longer sequence. Well, I, I need Greta to not be sedated or unconscious. Yeah. Like, I need this to turn into a final catfight where either Erica needs to get involved or she and Francis defeat Greta together. This, to me, is the peak. The wig reveal... That it's Erica and her getting the drop on Greta is great, but then it just stops. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. Sedating her is the wrong choice. And again, yeah. I'll go, instead of orphan, let's look at orphan first kill for a just really that. good fucking cat fight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could have really gone for an Erica saying, I'm the mommy now. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And and that 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 I think is my frustration. I like the setup for this so much and then mm -hmm. it just peters out. Yeah. Yeah, because we we rescue Francis. There's a really nice touching moment which could either be platonic or totally sexual where the girls hug and they're just hands all over each other yeah. making plans about what to do next. We dump Greta into this trunk. I mean, we get the fake out where she touches Francis's face one last time, 
but it's so underwhelming. Like this moment, I almost rather it not be in the film because it feels like, oh, we're not going to give you something fun. It's just this. Yeah, like we need to kill her, right? I expected we were going to. And see, Rachel, this is when, yes, yeah, so, you know, she touches her hair and she's like, you are the one. And she passes out. This is when Francis grabs that piano, throws it over on her head. There we right? go. Yeah. Yep. We get her anger out. Yeah. Yeah, there's no catharsis for Frances, right? Like, she doesn't get her moment of agency. Well, because, and here's one moment of acting that I think is really, really good from Moritz is once Erica finds her, mm -hmm. the piano music starts up again. And right. Frances she's freaks. Uh, yeah, she's she goes back into her bed. And I was like, okay, Aww. we're trying to play this seriously. That's what we are doing. And I yeah. get it. But... It's the tonal imbalance, right? Like, do you want to be campy and have Isabel Huppert dancing around barefoot, injecting these men with sedatives? Or do you want to have it be, no, this is really serious. Think of how fucked up Francis is from this experience. Exactly. And so because of that, though, like, yeah, she, as you said, she has no agency in this final scene. It's just she's still a damsel in distress. Luckily, it's a woman saving her. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they just lock her in this trunk, ineffectively, by the way, um, and just walk yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, so this is basically where the movie ends. Yeah, we we stick this Eiffel Tower ornament in, haha, -ha, because it's France, and then we just leave. Like we're gonna go get fresh air. We're gonna call Chris, Daddy, and everything. Presumably, these two will date and break up in a couple of months, and everything will be fine. Do you two? Do you read this sort of push in on the trunk? on the Eiffel Tower ornament, do you read this as, oh, Greta's just going to get out? Or do you read this as, oh, she's trapped in the trunk and she might die in there because they're just walking away? I thought they were trying to make us think that she was going to pop out of there. Okay. It's like the end of Inception when it's like, oh, does the top, like, fall over? Does it keep spinning? Um, mm -hmm. This Eiffel Tower figurine is clearly falling out of this hole. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, this definitely does feel like a sequel tease. Yeah. But, okay, like, genuinely asking here, do you think that was the idea where they actually thought, we might get a sequel to this movie one day? I mean, there's no way that they're going to try to, right? I mean... No. Well, I don't think these people would do it again. That, that's, that's I mean, I, I guess Neil Jordan doesn't scream sequel man to me. No. And so, I mean, I agree with you, this feels like a sequel tease at the end, but... I, I don't actually believe that anyone involved ever thought there was actually going to be a second one. Oh, it's like a sequel bluff. They're like bluffing yeah. it. Yeah. I, I think but it's more, no oh, this is what thrillers normally do, right? We'll yeah. end it on this moment of uncertainty, not because we actually think we'll make another film, but just because you can never truly vanquish an old lady with a Parisian-Hungarian accent. Right. <laughs> Honestly, would have either... I could have gone for more evil on top of evil like yeah. mm -hmm. chloe gets up mad as hell grabs the purses and now she starts fishing girls like she's like i learned it from my mommy who's fucked oh, up and dead no. in the box like i want or even like francis and erica going and getting a dog of their own and they're starting their like piano mm -hmm. teaching school together <laughs> actually what could have been fun is and again I, maybe i'm just rubbing off a screen too here but it's like you know, she bang, she bangs in the trunk 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 and then they make it to the front door and just as they're about to walk out greta like busts out of this trunk mm -hmm. they both grab the nearest sharp object next to them and just tackle her and just stab her a whole bunch of times Ooh, they metronome her to death oh my yes. god they yes we, we we pull the little stick off the metronome <laughs> 
Just jab it right in her eye. Take that, Cherie. Honestly, take the rest of her fingers. That's Ooh. honestly that doing something like that would have bumped this up a whole half star for me. For real. But it it does sound utterly ridiculous, right? And the movie wants to end on this sort of more subdued note, I right. think. I know. Yeah, because they just... were bummed, but I wanted to have a little bit more vengeance or something. <laughs> or yeah. like, yeah. And I, I think at the end of the day, that's why I'm, I am I was more angry with this movie on a first watch because I saw so many mm-hmm. tastes of what they could do with this story. Yeah. And they just refused to go that far because they're afraid of making it too silly, too fun, too mm-hmm. funny, too campy, whatever. Yeah. And I get that, you know, but if you're going to give me those tastes, um... Well, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a problem because the tastes that we do get, these campy moments or the really thrilling moments, mm-hmm. they're really well done. Yeah. And then the rest of the time you think, okay, it's not bad, but you gave me glimpses of what could have been. You either yeah. could have played this for more thrills and probably done that quite well, or you could have gone campier and done that quite well. And instead you settled somewhere just down the middle. Yeah. Also, <sighs> disappointing that there isn't a sapphic sex scene at the end with Francis and Erica, where oh we get God. into a little box play, right? Like, okay, now I'm going to put you in the trunk, and then I'll let you out, and then we'll, like, fuck or something. I'm so glad you brought that up. Box play has been something that I don't think we're talking about enough in films. <laughs> the double entendres, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what are you saying? What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, no, I'll leave the purse on the subway tonight. <laughs> yeah, see, that's like hot. I don't know what there's a, this whole thing is very like you can very easily make this a sexy thing. Oh, my God. Greta is such a sex vibe. Yeah. Greta porn parody. Yes. What is it still called Greta? <laughs> I don't know. It's not it's not really selling as Greta is. it? <laughs> How do you pornify the name Greta? Like, what is the porn name for Greta? Greta gets pursed. Ooh. Oh, my God. <laughs> I or, love ooh, that. Francis gets boxed. <laughs> I like I, I feel like also there's something very strap on E about the fake finger under the glove. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, oh, OK. This is not the film for this, but a fingering scene with the severed finger. Obsessed. Oh, uh, wow. Love it. Love you know it. what? That, that's like the opposite of ableism. And I'm kind of here for it. Yes. Sure. <laughs> also how have we gotten this far and not reference boxing helena oh yeah that's well we don't cut off any of chloe grace mortz's parts i know but we're cutting off greta's <laughs> just yeah. a finger just a finger oh just one <laughs> uh okay everyone well that has been greta uh rachel as the guest of honor what, what are your final thoughts on this film I feel like my co-host on Two Dykes and a Mike McKenzie Goodwin always says one review, and I think that it does stand strong here, which is um, not enough full frontal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, true. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is kind of my first takeaway. But my my review is this movie is not seen enough in a savic lens, but mm-hmm. we know it's all there. And mm-hmm. I would say this one is like surprisingly fun, and I think more people should go there. But uh yeah, we could have gone harder <laughs> with the box play, yeah. I think, in the end. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I won't um, repeat myself again. I feel the same. I, 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 this did bump up from a two and a half star film to a three star film on a rewatch once I knew what it was. But yeah, I agree. Um, I, I wish it went further. But it's, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a perfectly serviceable film. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's fun. I wish it was just a little bit more fun, but it's really entertaining to watch Isabel Huppert cut loose like this. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a good showcase for Moritz as well as Micah Monroe. So all in all, not unhappy to revisit. Agreed. Not unhappy at all. But uh, before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, Rachel, let everyone know, where can they find you in your podcast? Oh my gosh, you can find me at Rachel Safety. My podcast is called Two Dykes and a Mic, and we're going on tour in the spring. If you want to see us live, we'll be in a bunch of cities. You can get tickets on our website, twodykesandamic.com. And I'm also going on tour as well, just doing my own hour stand-up, and you can follow mine at rachelscanlincomedy.com. Amazing. Right. I cannot imagine doing a tour of stand-up comedy. That sounds hella intimidating. <laughs> oh my god, it rocks. <laughs> it literally rocks. I just leave purses all over the city that I'm going in. <laughs> I hope everyone comes to the comedy club. This is how I get ladies into my into my shows. I just leave <laughs> exactly. purses. It works every time. <laughs> I just can't imagine that you're touring like both your podcast. I, mean, I know that I'm not at the same time, I guess, but like your podcast and your stand-up. I mean, you must be busy year-round. Oh, that's right. Booked and blessed. Booked in blast. Love it. Love it. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd. Keep track of all the films we've covered. If you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. Uh, if you love us, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you hate us, don't do that. Sure. If you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. And if you subscribe today, you will get 291 hours of Patreon content, including this month's new episodes on Hannibal Season 1, Episode 2, No Way Up, Suitable Flesh, Lisa Frankenstein, and to coincide with that Diablo Cody penned film, our audio commentary for the month will be on Heathers. Heathers. You must be so glad we're at the end of the month, you don't have to keep doing that. <laughs> I know. I'm every time we go to a new month, I'm like, oh, thank God, new movies. Um, <laughs> Joe, yes. What are we talking about next week? All right. Well, we're gonna stick with our queer ladies, and this is a first time watch for me, Trey. So I'm very excited. We're going to be checking out Kristen Stewart in Personal Shopper. Yeah, talk about lesbian energy right there. I do want to give a caveat, y'all. This is a horror film, but it's a very slow burn. Like, I, mm. at first glance, I would not call it a horror film. I would call it more of a drama with horror elements. So just know that when you're walking into it. Because if you walk into it thinking, expecting a horror film, you will probably be disappointed. Yeah. If you want that, go and watch Underwater because she's great in that too. Yeah. <laughs> but until next week, we can cross out Greta. Indeed. And cross out horror queers. Thank you.